Well, good morning. So great to see everybody here again this week. Hope you're having a great weekend. I know we have an extra day tomorrow for Labor Day, so I hope you have a good, relaxing day tomorrow on your extended weekend. I think we have a lot of people out because they're traveling for Labor Day, so we wish them safe travels. But we're thankful that you're here. I think we have a lot of visitors as well, so we're really, really delighted that you're here. I did want to mention we do have some visitor cards on either end of the pew. If you're visiting with us, please fill one of those out. You can give them to me or David, who's going to be doing our announcements, or put them in the receptacles in the back. We'd love to have your information and, and to contact you at some point. But thank you so much for being here this morning. If you want to flip over to John chapter 9, that's where we're going to be all morning this morning. The verses are not going to be up here on the screen because we're going to go through this chapter. thought it would be easier for us to just do it the old-fashioned way, right? Open up our Bibles and read from John chapter 9. It's the first Sunday of the month, which means we're going over our theme, which is less of me in 2023, a theme on humility. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Before we get into John 9, I want to give you just brief context of this chapter. In both John chapter 8 and John chapter 10, John records some lengthy teaching of Jesus. And Jesus' popularity has grown, and there's a lot of rumblings about him. Some people believe in him, some people don't. But in John chapter 8, the Jews want to stone Jesus. He makes some bold claims in their minds. They weren't really bold, they were true. But in their minds, they were bold claims that he says that he's the light of the world. And then he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's claiming to be God, deity. And they, they realize that, and they pick up stones to kill him. But he slips away and, uh, unharmed. Then we get to John chapter 10. We've got the story of the good shepherd, the how Jesus is the good shepherd and how he calls his sheep and they know his voice and he leads them into pasture, right? Well, tucked in between these two sections of teaching, we have John chapter 9 where Jesus encounters a blind man. And we have a long uh, record of what happens after Jesus heals this man. It's a, it's a lot of fallout from this. But still, you'll see how the kind of the rumblings about Jesus continue here in John chapter 9. Some people are unsure about him. Some people are sure about him. And, and we'll see that play out as we go through here. But let's hop right in. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he passed by, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's pause right there and unpack a few things. Jesus comes across a blind man, which many times he came across people who had ailments and different diseases and problems, right? 
Well, he comes across this man, and the disciples have a question. They're like, hey, why is this man uh, blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? They have this idea that sin causes physical ailments. Like, you commit some type of sin, well, that results in a physical ailment or some type of problem. It's kind of the idea that Job's friends had. Remember, when, when Job was suffering tremendously, they told th- their, his friends came to him and they were like, Job, you must have done something wrong. Like, you must have sinned to have all this bad stuff happen to you. And we know Job didn't, right? And Job maintained his innocence, right? He's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't sin. I'm going to maintain my innocence through this. And so Jesus kind of corrects his disciples. He's like, no, it wasn't because of his sin or his parents sinned. Certainly they, they sinned in their lives, right? And he's like, no, the reason why this man was blind is so that the works of God could be displayed in him. Isn't that a much different and better perspective to have? That, that this is an opportunity for a, a great work that would point to the Father to be shown in this man. And he'd be a living display for the rest of his life of what God could do. And that's why Jesus says, well, that's, that's why he's blind. So that the works of God could be displayed in him. He's like, while I'm here, I've got to do the work that I've been called to do. And so he does it. He, the works of God are displayed in this man. He, he spits in the mud, right? And he makes some clay or mud and he rubs it on the man's eyes, and he tells him to go wash. Now, that's so interesting to me that sometimes Jesus just touches somebody and they're healed. Sometimes he just says a word and they're healed. But sometimes he calls somebody to actually do something in order to be healed. And a lot of people have thrown out reasons why that happens. fact of the matter is the text really doesn't tell us, hey, this is why Jesus did it this way, this is why he did it that way. Regardless, the man listened to Jesus, and he was healed. And he came back able to see. His life was, was changed, right? Now, there's rumblings about who this man is, right? Some people say, wait a second. Isn't this the guy that was just a blind beggar? Right? Isn't this, is this the one that was just sitting here begging from us and now he can see? And some are like, yeah, this is him. But others are like, no, it just looks like him. It's somebody like him, but it's not actually him. And he's sitting there saying, I am the one. I am the one. Jesus healed me. He said, he, he rubbed clay on my eyes, and I went and washed, and now I came back seeing. And they're like, okay, well, where is he? Well, I don't know. I don't know where he is. So there's kind of this discussion amongst the people as, what's going on, right? And from here, it's just going to escalate and escalate. So go back to the text here and look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Let's pause there now. See, the people are kind of amazed at what's going on. There's a disagreement. Did, did this guy really get healed or is this just somebody like him? Well, they end up bringing this man to the Pharisees. All right, we know that Jesus had a lot of contention with the Pharisees throughout the Gospels, right? So they bring this blind man to the Pharisees and the Pharisees are like conducting an investigation, basically. Like, what, what's happened here? Okay, and, and he tells them, listen, he applied clay to my eyes. I washed and I see. He says the same thing that he said to the people a few minutes ago. He's like, listen, I... 
I, all I know is that this man applied clay to my eyes, I washed, and now I, I can see. And so there's this disagreement amongst the Pharisees. Notice the emphasis placed on the Sabbath, all right? It was a Sabbath day when Jesus healed. That was the day of rest, right? Now, the Pharisees were sticklers for the law. They, wanted, they knew the law. They wanted to keep it. And not just the law, their traditions, they had tacked onto the law. And so they had added these provisions as what constituted work on the Sabbath day. And evidently to them, or at least to some of them, Jesus healing somebody and this man washing constituted work. And so the Sabbath was broken, according to them. That because Jesus healed this guy, well, you, you couldn't do that on the Sabbath, right? These are things that they had kind of added on to the, the Sabbath day. And so some of them are like, no way. There's no way that this man could be from God. They're talking about Jesus. There's no way he could be from God because he broke the Sabbath. But others are like, well, hold on. How could he do this if he was a sinner? You know, how could this man, if, if he really truly did break the Sabbath and do all these things, how could he do these amazing signs? And so there's this disagreement amongst even the Pharisees. And th so they're like, listen, blind, the, the blind man, what do you say about him? You, you were healed by him, right? He says, well, I think he's a prophet. Now, certainly Jesus was a prophet. He's right. But Jesus was more than just a prophet. And we'll see his, his understanding of Jesus grows as we go throughout this uh, chapter here. Well, you see there's a division amongst the, the Pharisees here. So they continue their investigation. Look at verse 18. The Jews then did not believe it of him, the blind man, that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioning him, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? For his parents... And question him, sorry, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue for this reason. His parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they just end up saying, listen, we're not, we're not listening to this guy. We're not going to trust this guy. Let's call in his parents and really verify if this guy really was born blind. So they call in this man's parents. And his parents, they want nothing to do with this situation. All right, because the Jews had decided anybody who confessed Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, was to be kicked out of the synagogue, could have no part in the synagogue. And so they're like, okay, we, don't, we know this is our son, right? and he was definitely blind at birth. How he sees, we have no clue. You just need to ask him. He's old enough. Look at him. He, 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 can, he can give an account himself. Don't bother us about this. All right? Now, the synagogue was a very important part of Jewish life. For lack of a better term, it was like a community center for the Jews, Served a lot of different functions from a place where they could study the Torah, read the Torah, to a place where even strangers and visitors could, could uh, reside and lodge for a time. And so to be kicked out of the synagogue was really, you're missing a big part of your life as a Jew and a lot of social connection with other Jews. And so his parents were like, listen, just ask him. We don't want any part of this. All right, so let's continue reading here in verse 24. 
So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? So they put him out. So after sending the parents away, they bring in the blind man once again. And they start questioning him uh, again. And you see what he, he says. I, I love this. They're trying to feed him what to say, right? They're like, listen, we know that Jesus is a sinner. Just give glory to God. We know that he is. In essence, they're saying, we'll give you one last chance to withdraw your testimony about what happened. But the man stands strong. He doesn't, get, he doesn't just give in like his parents. He's, he's like, no, listen, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. Something amazing has taken place in me. And they're like, okay, well, how did it happen? He's like, I've already told you. You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? He's like, you, you guys seem to be pretty interested in this guy, right? And so they start reviling and hurling insults at him. And, and they, they basically say, listen, we're disciples of Moses because we know that God spoke to Moses, right? They, they're, again, they're, they know the law. They know that Moses was the law giver, God through Moses, right? And so they're like, we know God spoke to Moses, but as for Jesus, we don't know. And so he takes that opportunity and says, well, here's an amazing thing, guys. You don't even know where he's from, and yet he can do these amazing things. Just think about it. He couldn't do these amazing miracles if he was such a sinner like you say he is. God wouldn't work in him like he is if he was such a sinner and not really the Messiah, not really somebody more than just a mere man. And so he stands his ground. And at that, the Pharisees, again, they revile him and they put him out. Now, when it says they put him out, I believe they're talking about they put him out of the synagogue. Remember, they said a few minutes ago, anybody who confessed Jesus as the Christ would be kicked out of the synagogue. And I believe that's what they did. They put him out of the synagogue. Certainly, they put him out of their presence as well. But I believe they kicked him out of the, the synagogue for saying this. They're basically like, you, a beggar, you're going to teach us? All right, how about this? You're out of here. And so you see, the Pharisees, they don't really care about this guy. All they care about is their law, the, the law and their, their traditions. They don't care that this guy's life has been changed, that a man who has had to resort to begging had his life completely changed by Jesus. All they can see is, all right, who broke the law? Who, who broke our traditions? And they're so caught up in that. Let's finish the chapter. Jesus, this is verse 35, heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. 
Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Jesus heard this man had been kicked out, right? And he goes and finds him and he reveals himself to this man. Now, the Son of Man was a title from the book of Daniel that carried these messianic overtones. And they would have known this. The Jews would have known what he was talking about. And so the man, understanding who Jesus is now, you see this progression of this. He, he first saw him as a man named Jesus, then a prophet. And then he starts wondering a little bit more. And then he comes to understand that he's the Son of Man. And he falls down in worship, properly falls down in worship to Jesus. He, Jesus had changed his life. Now, this is where we wanted to get to. John 9, 39 to 41. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins, right? And his coming put people in a, in a situation to either believe in him or not. Those who believed in him, he gave the right to become his children. And those who did not would be condemned. There was basically judgment going on. They saw what he could do. They saw his miracles. They, they heard his teaching. And they had to either accept it or reject it, right? And so he says, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. Who are those who do not see? Those who do not see are people like the blind beggar. We're not talking about physical sight here. We're talking about spiritually speaking. Those who do not see. Now, the, the blind man did have physical blindness, but he also had spiritual blindness. Those who do not see are those who understand. I need something more than just myself. They're the people who are not self-sufficient. Then understand that I need somebody else to help me. I need somebody else to fix me, to, to make me more than what I am now. And that's where the blind man was. You see his growth about uh, learning about Jesus. And he ends up falling down at Jesus' feet and worshiping him. He was given spiritual sight. But those who see may be, that may become blind, those are people like the Pharisees who are self-sufficient and who think they have it all together, that I don't need anybody else. I've got, I know it. I've got all the answers and I know what's right and I know that I'm right. I don't really need this Jesus guy. I don't really need anything else. I've got all the answers. And Jesus says those type of people, they're really blind. They think that they can see, but really on the inside, they're blind. Look how Edwin Blum sums this up in his commentary on the Gospel of John. The blind who come to sight are those who, admitting their helplessness and inability, trust Jesus for salvation. Those who see and become blind are those whose self-trust and pride blinds them to the wonders of Jesus. He does not condemn them by making them blind. They blind themselves by rejecting him. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They, they rejected even what they saw. They could see Jesus and what he had done, and yet they rejected him. And they trusted in themselves. They were self-sufficient. They, they trusted in themselves, and their pride blinded them from seeing their need for Jesus. William Barclay put it this way, The man who is conscious of his own blindness and who longs to see better and to know more is the man whose eyes can be opened 
and can be led more and more deeply into the truth. The man who thinks he knows it all, the, the man who does not realize that he cannot see is the man who is truly blind and beyond hope and help. Only the man who realizes his own weakness can become strong. Only the man who realizes his own blindness can learn to see. Only the man who realizes his own sin can be forgiven. And so the, Jesus is making this clear distinction that I came that those who are blind may see. Those who have a need for me and realize that they need me, I'm opening their eyes. But those who trust in themselves and don't think they need me, they're actually the blind ones. And folks, we see this all throughout Scripture in, in the, the Gospel accounts. Jesus goes after the Pharisees for their pride and their self-sufficient ways. They were prideful. Look at Matthew 23. The woes to the Pharisees here. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they brought in their phylacteries and lengthened the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven." Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Yeah, I think you can clearly see the arrogance of the Pharisees. The, the phrase in there that I like to, to point out here is, they do their deeds to be noticed by others. They really wanted to be noticed by others and to be respected, to be called rabbi, to be called teacher. They wanted people to notice their works and lift them up and respect them for all that they've done. And Jesus says those type of people are really the blind ones. Those are the people who cannot see. Pride is blinding. And the Pharisees had this pride that blinded them from seeing the truth, from recognizing the truth of Jesus. And Jesus says those who live like this are going to be humbled. They're going to be humbled. Those who want to exalt themselves will be humbled and so we in contrast we got to be like that blind man that blind man who in john 9 36 when jesus said do you believe in the son of man what did he say he answered who is he lord that i may believe in him he wanted to know he wanted to to understand who the son of the who the son of man was and to receive the truth from him that's what we have to be like understand that we don't have it all in ourselves we can't be self-sufficient. We have to be sufficient or reliant on God. Now, here's the thing. It's very easy for us to become like the Pharisees. And I know many a times we, we can't even realize, it. and David talked about that last month, that pride can really go unnoticed by, by the person who has it. We can get to a point, folks, where we think, you know what, I've been a Christian long enough. I know everything. I've got all the answers. I, you know what? I know what's right. Everybody else, they're wrong. That group over there is wrong. That group over there is wrong. But I'm right. I know what's right. We can't get that way when we have this spiritual arrogance that we've gotten us where we are, that it's because of our efforts and our, 
our abilities that we've gotten us to this place where we are today. And it, it, we can become that way sometimes. The spiritual arrogance can, can get to us where we think we've got it all together and that we don't really need anybody else. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. The moment that we think we're on level ground and we've got it all together is the moment that we are going to fall. The moment that we think that we, we've got it. Man, I, I've made it to where I am and I'm good to go. Paul says, watch out that you don't fall. Take heed because that's the moment when you think, when you're arrogant and when you're prideful, that's the moment where the devil will get you. We must, folks, we must realize our spiritual blindness. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by poor in spirit? What he means is that, the best way I've heard this described, is that we are spiritually bankrupt before God. Meaning that we have nothing to offer to get ourselves to salvation. There's nothing in and of ourselves that we could say, hey, look, it's my works, it's my efforts, it's, it's me because I'm so great. It's, it's because of all my acts and deeds that I am where I am. No, it's, it's devoid of all that stuff. It's saying that I am all completely reliant on God. I'm completely reliant on him to open my eyes. I realize my need for God, that I have nothing in and of myself that can save myself. It's only through Jesus Christ. And he says, those type of people who recognize their spiritual blindness, who recognize their need for a savior, are the ones who will receive sight. Who will receive sight and be able to see clearly. Those who have pride and are self-sufficient, those are really the blind ones who really can't see. All they can see is themselves. And that's a problem. God offers us salvation. It's only through him. We just reach out and grab it. And when we do, and we realize, I can't do it myself, then we receive our sight. In, in 1863, Abe Lincoln said these words that are as true as ever. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we've forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. I think Abe Lincoln is simply echoing what we've been talking about this morning. We can get to a place where we forget that it's all because of God that we are who we are and that we are where we are. It's not because of us. Without God sending his son, there is no way we could be saved. Absolutely no way. There's no way we could have our eyes open without Jesus Christ. And the people who think that they can do it without him, those are the people who are really blind and who are further away than they can even imagine. We cannot forget the hand that has brought us to where we are and it's God and we've forgotten that in our country and many times we forget that in our lives because we get distracted by the success and by all the things that are going on in our lives we cannot forget 
that it's God who got us to where we are. We have to be empty of any type of pride and realize it's only because of him that we are where we are and that we can have sight to see clearly. This morning, how's your sight? Do you claim to see? Do you claim to have it all together? Or do you claim your need for Jesus more than anything? This morning, if you want to claim that need, we want you to come forward. We all need Jesus. That's that song, in need of grace, in need of love, in need of mercy, raining down from high above. We need it desperately. And here's the thing, when you recognize that, Jesus can open your eyes. All you have to do is come to him. If you have any need this morning, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.